Good morning, friends, and welcome to Village Park Church Online. We're so glad that you've joined us today. So uh, take a minute uh, and like and share this video or maybe invite a friend to join you. Uh, grab your coffee, grab your Bible. We're going to dive right into the Word of God. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 today and ask for a little bit of interaction as we get started. So I was raised in a family with two older brothers and then a younger sister. And sometimes me and my brother Sam would fight and argue. And we would argue about different things, but it was kind of like set up for arguments. Our, our lives were because uh, at every at every Christmas, my brother and I would always get matching toys. And so inevitably, we would have a disagreement about uh, who was using the other person's toys, especially if one of them got, got broken. And so we fought uh, a lot about our toys. And I'm just interested if, if you had siblings, what are some of the things that you and your siblings would fight about? For me and Sam, it was about the toys. We would also fight about what music would be playing in our room, especially at night when we were trying to go uh, to bed. But I remember this one time that Sam and I had a huge argument and we were out in the garage and I'm telling you, uh, he punched me and, and I mean, sent me to my knees. And I think that might've been the last time that, that we fought each other. <clears throat> but, you know, when we would have these arguments, we'd have these fights, we'd have these big disagreements. At the end of it, we, would, we were still brothers and we would defend one another fiercely. And I, I love him dearly and, and I would do anything for him and I know that he would uh, for me. And I think in many ways, it's the same with our spiritual walk with Christ. We're going to talk today about the church. And I've, I've grown up in church all my life. And I've seen that within church, not everyone is exactly the same, that, you know, we, we have some great times together. We speak with one another, we encourage each other. But within the body of Christ, sometimes there are disagreements. We may disagree on, on the way something has been done. We may argue. Sometimes uh, we may even do things or say things that hurt one another. And I wish it wasn't that way, but it is the reality of what I've seen in churches. But at the end of the day, when, when all is said and done, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like me and my brother, we would have our disagreements. At, at the end of all of it, we need each other. And God calls us to come together as brothers in Christ and to live in unity. So today we're going to be studying in 1 Peter chapter 3 and begin at verse 8. And want to read just a, a small portion of that verse and then and then we'll continue on. But in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Now, if you ever had questions about whether, whether Peter was a preacher, verse 8 needs to put it to rest. Because he says the first word of verse 8 is finally. And for us, that's kind of in conclusion, right? But when you look at the book of 1 Peter, there's still two and a half chapters remaining. And so it kind of reminded me of a pastor that I grew up with that, he would, in his sermon, be had, having been gone, going on for quite some time, then he would say, okay, now in conclusion or finally, and then preach like another 30 minutes. I'm like, dude, you already said that it was finally. That should have been, hey, we're wrapping it up. So how many of you have ever had a pastor that did that? And if you're a current member of Village Park, I don't want you to comment at all about that. But have you ever seen someone like that? They say finally, but then they, they keep going on. Well, that Greek word that's used in verse 8 that's translated in English, finally, it means the end or the conclusion. And, and in, this, in this case, what Peter is saying is not this is the final thought for the letter, but it's the final thought. He's summarizing what he's been talking about. And so if you've been with us in our study of 1 Peter, you know that in chapter 2 that Peter calls us to live a certain way in this world. In chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we're called to live holy lives as believers in the midst of a culture that is so corrupt. But even in that, we're to submit to our government because an effective witness is made through an effective walk. 
And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 26, we talked about that when injustices come at the hands of someone who treats you harshly, our suffering reminds us that we're to surrender to God, that we're to trust God in the midst of that struggle. And then what we studied last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, the first seven verses, we, we said that godly character can lead others to the grace of Christ. And the admonition there in those verses was that wives are to submit to their husbands even if they don't follow Christ. And husbands are to submit to the needs of their wives. And in our submission, we will show others the submission of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross and laid his life down for us on the cross. And so we get to verse 8. And when Peter uses that word finally, he's saying, so the conclusion of the matter, he's going to spell it out here. This is the concluding thought of how we're to live in our culture, how we're to live in our homes, how we're to live when we are suffering. And what he challenges us with is a very powerful conclusion but it has a life-changing call for you if you will submit your life to what God calls you to in these verses. Let's look at verse 8 and verse 9. He says, finally, so here's the final thought of this matter. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, verse 9, I think, is the key to understanding what Peter is calling us to as Christians. And as we've studied throughout the book of 1 Peter, we've heard various calls. In chapter 1 and verse 15, we're called to be holy. In chapter 2 and verse 9, we're called out of the darkness into the light. In, in chapter 2, we're called to submit. In chapter 3, the first seven verses, we're called to surrender and and to build godly character to, to lead others to Jesus Christ. But in verse 9, it's a different call. And I want you to see it. It's right in the middle of the verse. And it's just one word in the English language. And it's the word bless. Every child of God is called to bless other people. Now that word bless in verse 9, it means to invoke a benediction upon or to speak well of. It means to call good upon someone's life, and it means to wish them well. We might say to them, God bless you, and we're saying, we hope that God treats you well. And that's what he's saying at the, it, when he uses the word bless. But at the end of verse 9, he uses a different word, and, it, and it's translated in English, the word blessing. And it's from the Greek word eulagio, and that means that we get the word eulogy from it. And what it means is to be praised or to be celebrated to invoke blessings or to receive blessings. And the idea that Peter is drawing us to in the final conclusion is, is simply this, that blessed people should bless people and that a life that blesses others will ultimately be blessed by God. So the question then is, well, if this is the final conclusion of this matter, what does a life of blessing look like? What does it mean to really bless others? And in this passage, Peter actually lists 10 virtues of a life of blessing. And I'm going to try to get through all of these pretty quickly today. But the first one is found in verse 8. He writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind. The first virtue that he lists is unity within the body of Christ, to have a unified mind. And I want to emphasize just for one, one moment when Peter uses the phrase, all of you. And the reason I want to focus your attention on that is because audience is so important. The meaning of that phrase and everything that's going to follow will depend upon who Peter is talking to. 
For example, if I said to someone, I said, hey, I want you to come give me some snuggles, and you saw that I was talking to Ellie, my daughter, you'd say, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, you would say that to her, and that would make sense. But if I called Jonathan out from behind the camera, and I said, hey, man, come over here and give me some snuggles. If you know Jonathan, how hilarious that would be. But if I said that to you, hey, come give me some snuggles, you'd like look at me like, hey, get away from me, weirdo. Who you're talking to is going to determine how everything is received and how the words are perceived. And so Peter says in verse 8, finally, all of you. Well, who is he referring to? The all of you refers to the Christians to whom Peter is writing that are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And that means that the teaching that's going to follow is really a teaching that is specifically for the life of a believer. He's saying, all of you Christians, this is the life that you're supposed to live. And so he's referring to these believers. Now, you know, my kids sometimes will come up to me and they, they'll say like, you know, dad, I've got to get this. I've got to get this game or I've got to get this app on the phone. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, do you really have to have that? Or is that just something that you want? But Peter is going to show in these verses 10 virtues that we must have, that these have to be present in, in our lives if we are going to be able to live this call that we're called to, to be a blessing to other people. That word uh, unity there in verse 8 that he talks about, it, it means to be like-minded or be harmonious. It means oneness of heart, oneness in purpose, and oneness in faith. One of the tragedies of the Christian church, I think historically, but it's so prevalent even in our lives today, is that there is a great disunity in the body of Christ. Now please understand that unity does not mean unanimity, that everyone has to agree 100% on everything. But unity is also not uniformity. It doesn't mean that everyone looks and acts and even thinks the same way. So I've got uh, my middle son, Noah, is going into junior high this year, and he's joining the band. And so as a part of the process, he has to choose an instrument. And so we sat down with him, and we were just talking one day. He was trying to figure out which instrument he wanted to play. And so we started taking him through the different instruments, the trumpet and the trombone, and you know all these different instruments. And he would say, well, how's that one? And we would describe the sound, and this is what it looks like. And these are kind of the parts that they play in the various uh, pieces of music. And so he chose that he's going to play the French horn, which we're excited about that. And it, it made me think back to times when, if you've ever gone to the symphony or seen a band play, when you're listening to the, to the orchestra play, each instrument has a unique sound. And, and even within the instruments, some of them are playing different parts. You might have part one of the French horn section and part two, and they're playing different parts. And, and it would seem like if everyone's doing something different, then there's, there's no unity in that. But, the, but what you find when you listen to the music is that even though there's differences, there's different instruments and different sounds, they're all working together for the same purpose. They're trying to produce a beautiful piece of music. And the immediate application here is within our relationships within the body of Christ. At, among brothers and sisters of Christ, we're called to unity. Every child of God is called by God to be a blessing to others but especially within the context of the body of Christ. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to bless others in the body of Christ, then we have to be a people of like-minded unity. We have to recognize that God uses different people and different gifts and different abilities at different times, but in that he's composing this beautiful melody and symphony of his love and grace. And so the first virtue that we must have if we're going to live a life of blessing to others is unity of mind. The second one is also in verse 8, and it's the word sympathy. It means suffering or feeling the like with another person. 
when I was an EMT, I remember one of the first scenes that I ever made was uh, a guy had, had passed out, or at least that's what we had gotten on the, on the call when it came into the fire station. So I was new. I got, you know, we got on the scene and I got out of the ambulance and grabbed the bag and, and I walked up there and this guy's laying on the, on the street and, and I started, you know, kind of assessing him, asking him questions, things like that. He was a little bit disoriented, but uh, then another firefighter made the scene on a paramedic, a squad unit. Now, if you don't know anything about the, the fire department, just hear me out on this. The, the medics, they make more medical calls than anybody in the city. So most of them, they run every single day, all day. And so after you've done that, some of your compassion and sympathy begins to wane. And so here I am on the scene of this, uh, this guy and trying to assess things. And I'm trying to be all compassionate and sympathetic. And the squad shows up and they just snap at the guy and tell him to get in the back of the ambulance. No compassion, not really feeling anything. And that's that's op the opposite of what the word sympathy means. That word sympathy, it literally means to enter into one another's feelings. And I think sometimes that we can be guilty of shunning the way that someone feels about something or the way that something uh, has hit them in their lives. But a life that blesses others is a life that has the virtue of sympathy. It implies a deep understanding that, that we don't just understand what they feel, but that we feel it deep inside along with them. We went through some difficulty uh, one time at a church that I was pastoring, and, and as things were kind of progressing through that season of our lives, one of the things that I realized is that people had been talking to me about certain issues, and I was listening to what they were saying, but I wasn't being sympathetic. I wasn't listening to the point of understanding and enter in, entering into their heart the best I could to understand how these things were affecting them. And the Lord had to break my heart about that because that's exactly the opposite of what God calls us to. And when we're not sympathetic with other people, maybe because we've come cal become calloused in some way, and it might be because we've been hurt before, or maybe it's just that we're indifferent. What we have to do is say, God, if I'm going to live a life that ultimately blesses other people, then Lord, give me a heart of sympathy for other people. The third virtue is also in verse eight, and it's, it's brotherly love. The three words in the English are, the, excuse me, these two words, brotherly love in the English, are one word in the Greek. And it's a word that means brotherly love. There's a special bond that you have with brothers. If you have siblings, then especially brothers, then you understand this. I remember when Luke and Noah uh, were much younger that they would argue a lot and they would wrestle around on the couch. And sometimes I would think, man, I'm not really sure that these kids like each other uh, too much, but then they would hug each other in the, in the evenings. They would read books together and, and they were sharing a room. And sometimes I would hear them outside the door, tell each other that they loved each other. And, and there's just a special bond that we have uh, with our brothers. And it speaks when he uses this phrase, brotherly love, it speaks of that same deep fondness for other people. And this is what a life of blessing looks like. It's like a band of brothers that are playing together and knowing each other and loving each other and helping one another and teaching one another and exhorting one another. So a life that blesses others is a life that loves your brothers and sisters in Christ. The fourth virtue is found in verse eight as well, a tender heart. Ephesians chapter four and verse 32 is the only other place in the scripture where this word tender heart, this or being tender hearted appears. In Ephesians 4, 32, it says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. To be tenderhearted is to live a life that extends forgiveness and kindness to other people. 
Tenderness that reaches out to the hurting rather than becoming cold and calloused and maybe even indifferent to those who are hurting all around you. The fifth virtue is found in verse 8. He says, a humble mind. Now, Philippians chapter 2, if you know, is one of the most rich theological passages in all of the Bible. And I remember when I was in college and seminary, understanding and learning this word, the kenosis of Jesus. It, it means the emptying of Jesus. That Jesus, who was God in the flesh, emptied himself and came to the earth as a servant. In, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, being Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. There's the kenosis. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. In other words, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who created everything in the beginning, and for him to say that he was God, it was not a false statement. He wasn't claiming something that wasn't true. He was God. And yet he, he emptied himself and he humbled himself, and he came to the earth in the form of a servant. And then he came and lived among us and lived the perfect life. And then in the ultimate act of humility, he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, not for his sins, but for mine and for yours. And he is the example of what we need to have when he talks about having a humble mind or having humility. There's a very poignant scene in the Last Supper, if you're familiar with it, when Jesus is sitting down and enjoying uh, the last meal with his disciples. And if you know the story, there's a point in the evening when Jesus arises from the table and he grabs a basin of water and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. In this ultimate act of humility, he serves those disciples. And he said this to them. He said in John chapter 13, verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So humility, to be low, lowly and bow down in mind, to be humble in spirit. And a humble spirit is a loving spirit because it always seeks the welfare of other peoples. So these first five virtues of a life of blessing that we've, that we've seen really have to do with what we think, you know, having like-minded unity and humility and how we feel to have compassion and sympathy toward others, to have brotherly love and tenderness toward those who are hurting. But the next virtues of a life of blessing have to do with what we say and do. Notice in verse 9, the next one, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. What a powerful phrase. In fact, maybe take a moment and write this phrase out or this verse in, uh, in the comments. Not rendering evil for evil or railings for railing, but contrarywise, bless, or in other words, to bless. That word evil, it means something that would hurt someone else or railing or reviling is slander. I love the way Warren Wiersbe wrote about this verse, what he said about this verse in his commentary. He said this, as Christians... We can live on one of three levels. We can return evil for good, which is the satanic level. We can return good for good and evil for evil, and that's the human level. Or we can return good for evil, which is the divine level. And a life of blessing, a life that blesses others, lives on that divine level, returning good for evil, never evil for evil, never, you know, an eye for an eye in that respect. This can only be done, though, we can only live this out if the Spirit of God that lives within us 
takes control of our lives and we yield ourselves to him. Because let's be honest, our natural inclination is to hurt back, to lash out, to seek revenge. But the spirit of Christ seeks to bless those who hurt you. I remember when Sam and I would have arguments when we were kids. My first thought was not, I want to bless him. My first thought was really, I want to punch him for doing that or breaking one of my toys. And that's our natural sinful inclination. So if we're going to forgive and return good for evil, which is the virtue that is being talked about, we have to let God's spirit take control of our lives. He continues on, notice in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. The next virtue is a person who can control their speech. Peter actually references and quotes Psalm chapter 34 verses 12 through 13. And he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You'll recall earlier in our study in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, describing Jesus that there was never deceit found on the lips of Jesus. And the fact that Peter follows the teaching in verse 9 with the instruction to control our tongue should tell us something about our nature. When someone does evil or slanders us, our first propensity is to defend ourselves or to lash out in revenge or say things that hurt back. Have you ever been guilty of that? I certainly have. But a life that blesses others is someone who controls his or her tongue. I love Psalm 141 and verse 3. The psalmist wrote this, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. In fact, I want to encourage you to type out that verse in the comments. It's a great reminder, I think, for all of us. I think we should all pray these words every day. God, God guard the door of my lips so that no evil word would escape my mouth. And when we're living a life that blesses others, we allow God to keep our lips from saying things that we shouldn't say, whether they're gossip or slander or backbiting, railing or hurtful speech, words that tear down other people and cursing. I recently took my kids to the pool and uh, there was a lady there. We, there were a lot of people there, but there was a lady that had her family and, and uh, she kept calling her kids stupid. And it really bothered me. You know, you ever had that moment where you hear someone else, the way that they're talking to someone and you just think, man, I, I really wish you wouldn't. Uh, say that but it went from there to calling them stupid to then cursing at, at the kid and I I watched the kid as as her mom would say those things to her and you could just see the look in her eyes was that she was being hurt with every single word that she said and although I wouldn't call my kids stupid or, or curse at them there are times in my life when I haven't allowed the Lord to control what I said and I've said things that I've regretted but a life that blesses other people blesses them with their lips blesses them with the words that they say and so what we need to do is ask the lord lord guard or set a watch before my mouth and and keep the door of my lips don't let anything escape my mouth that is not controlled by your holy spirit he calls us to another virtue in verse 11 if we're going to live a life that blesses other people notice what he says let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it the word that i would use here is the word purity in this, he's continuing to quote from Psalm th uh, chapter 34 and verse 14. You've heard throughout Peter's letter that the main, one of the main themes is personal holiness, that we're to live in a way that's different from the world. We're to be pure in an evil 
and sinful world. And he reminds them again to turn away from evil and do good. And what I want you to know about a life of purity is simply this, that purity is not just refraining from evil, but notice in verse 11 that it's also turning toward doing good. So I remember when I was a kid that there was a lady that, that came to our church and we went to a Baptist church growing up and she came there and she later on in her life admitted that when she first came, she came reluctantly because in her mind, her perception of Baptist was that Baptists were really only against things. They had certain Baptist rules. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And, and that really bothered her. And I remember one time hearing her talk about that, and it made me think back to when I was a kid in school, that we would have these say no to drug campaigns, which are great, and we should encourage kids to say no. But, but saying no to the evil is not just what we're called to. It's not just about rules of what we shouldn't do, but what God does is he calls us to a different life. He calls us to a better life, not just to stay away from the evil, but notice what he said there in that verse, to turn away from evil, but to do good. And I think this is true of the Christian life, that we not only are to refrain from sexual impurity or things that are wrong sexually, but we should turn toward and choose the joy of living our lives in a way that's pure by living them according to God's standard and his word. We're not only called not to lie, but we are called to the benefits and peace that come from speaking the truth. We're not just called to not worry, don't be anxious for anything, but to believe and to trust God that he will help us with whatever we face. We're not just called to not tear other people down, but we're called to build one another up and use words that are seasoned with grace. We're not just called to not participate in evil. We're called to do good. Choose the right because it's that life that we choose. When we choose it, we find joy and we find life. You see, God has given us his word to lead us not just away from the wrong decisions, but to make the right decisions in life. And so not just to protect us from the wrong, but to bring us to the joy of what is right. And so this virtue is a virtue of purity that shuns evil, but turns toward good. And the next one is found in the last part of verse 11. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That word seek means to go after and pursue is actually a hunting term that you might use if you're out hunting some kind of game. My kids used to love to do something called geocaching if you've never done it. There are these small little uh, boxes that are placed. People place them in parks and different uh, places, and then they give clues, and there's an app, and you can go and you find them, and it'll give you some coordinates, it'll give you some clues, and you go out. And some of them are easy to find, and some of them are extremely difficult. But on the ones that are extremely difficult, once you've kind of hiked two or three miles to get out to this area where it's been hidden, and you can't find it, you just keep going after it. You keep pursuing it, and you don't give up. And that's the word that's used here, to seek peace but to pursue it, to not stop, but to hunt it down. And a life of blessing, a life that blesses others is a life that seeks and pursues peace. And some people might ask, well, yeah, but what if someone takes advantage of my attitude? What, what if I'm pursuing peace, but the person I'm married to isn't? Or maybe a friend doesn't return good for, for evil or whatever it may be. What if someone attacks me? What Peter says is pursue peace. And don't stop pursuing it. Seek it and go after it. And this is ultimately the life that blesses others. But where does this come from? 
I want you to skip down to verse, thir- uh, verse 15. We're going to come back next week and study verses 13 and following. But in verse 15, he says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. To live a life that blesses others, it requires a change of our hearts. If we're going to live this life with these virtues, these must-haves of a life that blesses other people, then we must honor Christ the Lord in our hearts and honor him as holy. And when we honor Christ in our hearts, we exalt him to the place that he should be. You see, the life that honors Christ is the life that blesses others and is blessed by God. So are you living a life of blessing? In fact, I want to just bring this to a close by doing something together. I'm going to read through these list of 10 must-haves for a moment. And I want you to see the difference between a heart that is honoring Christ and producing these virtues and a heart that lifts up self and pride and does the exact opposite. So the first virtue is unity of mind. A heart that honors Christ will seek unity within the body of Christ. But a heart that honors self will sow discord among believers. So are you living a life that honors Christ to the point that you're seeking unity in the body of Christ? And if that's something that you're struggling with, if you find that in your own life you've been, you've been sowing discord or maybe you've, you've had some issues between believers, maybe write out a prayer and just say, Lord, help me to have unity of mind. The second one, sympathy. Are you honoring Christ in your life and is he producing sympathy and compassion in your heart? Or are you honoring self and you've gotten to the point where maybe you're cold and indifferent toward other people? If you're struggling with that, maybe write in the comments so that we can pray with you, Lord, help me to be sympathetic toward others. The next virtue was brotherly love. Do you have brotherly love in your heart? Are you loving your brothers and taking care of them? Or have you allowed hate or maybe even a lack of care enter into your heart? If you're struggling with that, maybe write a prayer, Lord, help me to have brotherly love. What about being tenderhearted? Is your heart tender and moldable? Is it seeking the welfare and the good of other people? Or have you become hard-hearted? If you're struggling with that, maybe write a prayer, Lord, give me a tender heart. The next virtue was humility. Are you humble? Are you seeking the good of other people? Are you thinking of other people first? Or too many times do you find yourself getting in the way and thinking really ultimately of what's good for me? If you're struggling with that, maybe just humble yourself and say, Lord, help me to be humble. The next virtue, returning good for evil, or what we might say forgiveness. Are you a forgiving person? Or do you hold grudges? Are you honoring Christ with your life and speaking the words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them? Are you saying, I have the right to be angry and hold this against them? If you struggle with that, maybe write a prayer so that we could pray along with you. Lord, help me to be forgiving. Help me to return good for evil. What about your speech? Is your speech controlled? Is your mouth under control? Or are you using hurtful words toward those around you? Have you set a guard over your lips? Have you, have you been praying, Lord, guard the words that come out of my mouth so that they will be things that build up rather than tear down? If you're struggling with that, maybe write out a prayer this morning just as a confession and say, Lord, help me 
to guard my mouth. What about purity? Are you struggling with impure thoughts? Are you struggling with impure actions? Are you turning toward evil and not doing good? Are you turning toward good and, and resisting evil? If you're struggling with that, maybe you could say, Lord, help me to live a pure life. And peace. Are you pursuing peace? Are you really going after, the, are you a calming force and presence in the lives of people around you? Or are you someone that's sowing discord or causing problems? Maybe if that's an issue that you're struggling with, you could say, Lord, help me to be a peacemaker. At Village Park, our, our vision is that our church exists to lead people to find and to follow Jesus. And the gospel is to be lived out in all of our lives. And I think that verse 15 is such a key that in our hearts we have to honor Christ Jesus, the Lord, as holy. We must lift him up and honor Christ and follow him. And in doing that, we can lead others to do the same. And I pray that the Lord's Spirit would reign in our hearts and in our church. That there would be unity and compassion and brotherly love. There would be tenderness and humility and forgiveness. And, and we would be ones that, that seek peace and speak good things and never evil. And that when people see the way that we live, even in the midst of a culture that's so difficult and, and many times so ungodly, they would see Christ being lived out in our lives. And so I just want to pray that over you today and pray that over our church. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I pray today that we would have these virtues in our own lives and in the life of our church. Lord, give us unity. Help us to be sympathetic toward those who are hurting. Help us to love with brotherly love and be tenderhearted and compassionate to those around us. Give us humility. God, humble us before the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people who forgive and, and don't seek revenge, but we repay good for the evil that may be done to us in our lives. And guard our hearts and guard our lips, Lord. Guard the words that come out of our mouths. Set a, set a watch over our mouths so that the words that we speak don't tear down, but they build other people up. And help us to live pure lives and peaceful lives. Help us to pursue it with all of our hearts. Because our desire, Lord, is to answer your call from your word that we would bless others. We're called to bless others, to be a blessing, and, and ultimately at the end of our lives to receive a blessing from you for a life that's well-lived and a life that's lived by control of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.